read John chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was one of the members of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not understand our do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. It would be helpful, I think, if you keep that passage from the Bible open in front of you because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. But to, to begin, I want to ask God to help me to explain it as well as I possibly can and to ask God to help you get it, not just in your heads. It's one thing to understand in your head, but deeply, so that this changes how we live. So a moment of quiet. Lord God, I pray, please help me to teach what Jesus is saying accurately and clearly. And please, by your Holy Spirit, help us to get it in the deepest possible way. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm guessing it was about five years ago. Out of the blue, I heard from a school friend. I hadn't heard from him since we left, decades before. And uh, he told me that he started getting involved in the mining industry. He was very wealthy, clear. He didn't say that, but just the way he was talking made it clear that He'd earned a lot of money, and he was involved in investing in the mining industry. And he said that once a year, he ran a thing called the Oxford Mining Club, which, as I read between the lines, was quite clearly getting very wealthy people together, have dinner, and then they'd discuss deals in the mining trade. And he said, I heard you were a vicar, which was the last thing he would have imagined when we were at school together. I heard you were a vicar. I heard you were in Oxford. I wonder, would you come as my guest? So I went along, it was a very posh dinner, and he said hello, he was very pleased to see me, but then he was busy saying hello to all these people in the, in the mining industry, and uh, he got up at one stage and he said, 
Guys, it's so good to see you. Some of us have been in this business for about 20 years, but there's one person here I haven't seen for 35 years, and he's a vicar. And they all looked a bit surprised that Justin should know a vicar. And he said, I've asked him to say grace, which again, they looked surprised at. Never happened before, as far as I can tell. So I said a very quick grace, sat down. There were eight people around the table, lots of different tables, all clearly very wealthy, all clearly there to do deals. So I turned to one person on my right and I said hello, and he was not rude, but there was no deal to be had with me. (laughs) So he turned to his right, I turned to the guy on my left. He was nice, but no deal to be had. He turned to his left, and I'm looking pretty awkward and embarrassed. And then about two minutes later, there was a guy across the table. I was told afterwards he was easily the wealthiest man in the room. He was uh, an older man from New York. He'd flown across specially for this occasion. And we hadn't said hello. And he just went like this. Guys, guys, we're talking about things that don't matter. Vaughan, tell us about God. (laughs) Well, that's what we call in the trade an invitation. But even then, I said to him, do you realize you're inviting me to break one of the taboos? We're not meant to talk about religion at the meal table. And I asked others, are you interested? And it was quite clear that they weren't really. (laughs) So we did a swap, and this guy came and sat next to me, and it was fascinating. He'd made a huge amount of money. He was known as a playboy. He'd had all sorts of experiences, but he was coming towards the end of his life, And he instinctively felt there was a God. And he knew that the most important question was, how do I get to know him? And that's the big question we're thinking about this evening. How can we know God? I don't know if it's the question you're asking. I don't know whether you believe in God. You might be an atheist, for all I know. But can I just assume that we we agree to this? That if there is a God who made us and who cares about us, and if there is a God to whom we are accountable for how we live our lives, then that is the most important question you can imagine. And that's a very important question we're thinking about this evening. It's so important that at the end, I'm going to give you due warning, I'm going to call on you to respond. Now, please don't be embarrassed. There's no awkwardness. I'm not going to get you to stand up or move or do anything, shout out loud, but just in your heart to be thinking, what am I going to do about this? Because I want to suggest to you it's so important that this is not something to think about on a Sunday evening and then go back to life and never think about again. For some of you, I think the challenge will be to think, yeah, I think this is true, but I'm going to determine this week and in the weeks beyond to live according to these things. For others of you, it might be, I'm really not sure what I think about it, but it's such an important question. I'm going to find out a bit more. And for others of you, maybe tonight could be one of the most important, if not the most important moments of your life. Because maybe you need to say, no, I'm I'm going to respond and actually begin a whole relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I thought I'd warn you right up front, this is big. And I'm heading, uh, telling you where we're heading. And it's not my authority that I'm speaking these things. How do we know about God? We're looking at the teaching 
of Jesus and this fascinating encounter that he has with a man called Nicodemus in John's account of Jesus' life and teaching. Jesus was, uh, Nicodemus rather, we're told in verse 1, was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this is a big guy, a bigwig in the religious world, very religious, fine, upstanding character known around Jerusalem. And we're told, verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. Interesting that. I wonder if he didn't want anyone else to know as if somehow his cred might have been affected by showing that he was interested in Jesus. And perhaps that's you. And you're here tonight and you kind of rather hope that the word doesn't get around too much, that you are into religion. Or you're open-minded and thinking about these things. Just worth recognizing straight away, there's more going on when we investigate questions of faith than just the mind. So if we think, I'm I'm just... uh, totally objective, I'm thinking about these things and that's all that's going on and I'm prepared to be intellectually convinced and then I'll become... No, there's more going on. There's an issue of the will. And one of the things that draws people back from investigating is a fear that other people might not be impressed by that. But this guy pushes through that. And he comes to Jesus and he's open-minded. He's intrigued. He says, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. I don't know what you make of Jesus. But by any account, he was a very, very remarkable man indeed. As far as we can tell, an unschooled carpenter whose teaching still captivates millions today. So in this university down the road, there are scholars who spend their whole lives studying the teaching of this Galilean carpenter. He performed extraordinary miracles. And as you look at the New Testament records, which are very very early accounts of Jesus' life and teaching, what is striking is even his enemies don't question that. He had miraculous Powers. He just seemed to flick his fingers and blind people could see. Dead people were raised. And the greatest miracle of all was his life. A life of manifest integrity, humility, love. He loved everyone, welcomed everyone. And when I first began to investigate these things for myself, I was in my late teens, and the thing that really hit me was this Combination I'd never seen in anyone else. Astonishing humility, and I don't know anyone who doubts that about Jesus. And yet teaching was again and again about himself. Most people, religious leaders, might say, if you want to know about God, well, read about him in this book. Do you want to know about God? Go to that place. That might help you. Jesus said, do you want to know about God? Come to me. Come to me. And as we'll see, as we continue thinking about John's gospel throughout this term, again and again, Jesus makes astonishing statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What do you make of him? So Nicodemus begins the conversation. Jesus, I've got my theories about you. I think you're probably from God in some kind of way. It's as if he's in control, examining Jesus, and Jesus just turns the table. Now, the issue, Nicodemus, is not so much about what you think about me, but 
what I think about you, what God thinks about you, and how you might come to know God. So there's a complete shift in the conversation, verse 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can we know God? Two answers we'll see in these remarkable verses. An answer, number one, is this. We need a fresh start. A fresh start. I tell you, said Jesus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now that sounds like religious jargon, so I don't know what you make of it, but I hope you realize it's not an encouraging statement. When I was um, about 10 or 11, my parents encouraged me to um, start playing the flute. And I thought it would be a nice idea, so I started playing the, the flute, and I thought I was doing okay. And I wanted to improve, so I said to my teacher, what do I need to work on? And she said, Vaughan, you've got the wrong shaped teeth. <laughs> Which wasn't encouraging. So I said, any scales to work on? Do I need to practice? She said, if you want to be a decent flute player... Well, you, de you need different shaped teeth. <laughs> which is a way of saying you need to be a completely different person. So I gave up. I mean, why carry on? Basically, she's saying, you'll never do it. You need to be a different person. And that's what Jesus is effectively saying here. Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to become one of God's friends, if you want to know God, you need to be born again. Imagine applying for a job, and they turn you down, and you say, well, look, if I work on, on various things, I could come back in a year's time, what, what do I need to work on? And they said, no, you need to be born again if you want this job. <laughs> it doesn't give you any grounds for hope, does it? It's hopeless. Now, this might be a surprise, because of all people who you might think would deserve to be a friend of God, it was this man, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, which to our minds, perhaps sounds negative because we know of Pharisees as, as um, self-righteous people who are rather nasty pieces of work. In those days, Pharisees were known as being very, very high-minded, very religious, very committed to their faith, observing the details of their religious faith. This is a religious man, a member of the ruling council, a fine, upstanding citizen. If anyone is going to get right with God and become a friend of God by what they deserve. It's someone like Nicodemus. And Jesus saying, no, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You can't do it without being a completely different person. And if that's true of Nicodemus, well, it doesn't bring much hope to me. Now, this doesn't fit very well with the message that is preached, I think, all around us today. It was preached in uh, the toilet of a coffee shop that a friend of mine went into a year or two. Uh, it was a big sign, and it said, Who is awesome? In big capital letters, You are awesome. And isn't that the message? You're amazing. You are absolutely amazing. You can do anything you want. You set your mind to it, you can achieve it. You're wonderful. Last week I was saying that I was on a plane and started chatting to a young Dutch guy and um, I asked him lots of questions and eventually he, he did ask me what I was living for and I 
talked about my faith for a little while. And then at the end, I said, do you have any faith yourself? And he replied, oh, I believe in myself. Which, I must confess, shocked me for a little while, so I didn't quite know what to, to do. I didn't know him very well, so I didn't want to say, really? But I, <laughs> um, but I did think, really, and very, very gently, I just challenged that. Because that's what we're told all the time. You should believe in yourself, shouldn't you? But do you? We're encouraged to promote ourselves. We are our own PR agents. What's social media about? It's, it's showing my little um, marketing strategy for the world. This is who I am. This is what I want you to think of. And we carefully choose the photographs that we'll put on. And what are they? They're photos that show us smiling. Do you ever put up a photograph of you looking miserable? No, you're smiling. And you're surrounded by friends, very likely. You're popular. You're successful. Here's me matriculating, or whatever it might be. Some of you, yesterday. And that's all well, well and good, but it's carefully chosen. Well, do we believe in our own publicity? I mean, if you looked at that social media program, do you think, yeah, that's me, always smiling, always popular, always successful? Is it not a mask that hides often crippling insecurity, deep sense of inadequacy, and let's be honest, something worse as well. The writer Mark Twain once said, everyone is a moon and has a dark side which they never show to anybody. You don't show that on social media, do you? And God sees it all. So how am I going to know God? And Jesus is saying, you're not going to know God by earning it. Because actually we're not the people we should be. We've lived in God's world as if we are God. We might say we believe in him. We might say we don't believe in him. But nonetheless, we live as if we're God. And the world revolves around us. And God is pushed to the margins if we acknowledge his existence at all. And that fundamental attitude of living for me flows into all the other bad things and the mess that we see in our life. And Jesus says, do you want to know God? You need to be born again. This is not about working harder and trying better and turning over a new leaf. You need a new life. Which Nicodemus is a bit nonplussed by because he's used, I guess, to achieving things in life. He's become one of the top dogs in society. And so he gets all, all sort of miffed, I reckon. And he says, verse 4, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus, this is, this is ridiculous. It's impossible. Oh, yes, it is impossible. We can't do it. But what's impossible with us is possible with God. So Jesus says, verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, no one can know God and be his friend, unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And there's some debate as to exactly what Jesus means there. I take it water refers to natural birth. We talk about a woman's waters breaking. And I take it he's saying, yes, you can be born naturally, but you need to be born not just 
by the flesh, he goes on in the next verse to say, but also by the Spirit. What you can't do, God can do. And that's your only hope. If God, by his Holy Spirit, changes you from within, how do you know God? How can you know God? You need a fresh start. And then second, you need a free gift. A free gift. Nicodemus is confused about all this stuff about being born again. And he says, verse 9, how can this be? How is it possible? And Jesus effectively goes on to say, I make it possible. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. See, Christianity is not about human beings climbing a ladder, reaching up to God and somehow earning our way to heaven. That's about God in Christ coming down from heaven and being born as a man. Christianity is not about a set of rules or religious practices that we do and thus we achieve all our way up to heaven if we manage to do enough. That's about God in Christ coming down. It's about a rescue mission. And that's what he goes on to talk about in this mysterious verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, is his way of talking about himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. He's talking about a section of the Old Testament, which the Jews would have known very well indeed. And it's a time after Moses, the great leader of the Jews, had, with God's help, led the people out of slavery in Egypt. They're in the wilderness, they're on their way to the promised land, and despite all that God has done for them, they are whinging, they're disobeying God, they're behaving extremely badly, and God judges them. And the judgment is seen in these snakes coming into the camp. And the snakes are deadly. They bite the Israelites and they are dying. And they're crying out for help. And God says to Moses, look, I will help them. What I'll do is, I'll invite you please to make a bronze serpent. To put it up on a pole. And when the people look at that bronze serpent, well... That's my way of rescuing them. It's, it's, it's my way of saying that they need to look to me to help them. And so when they look up, believing that I will rescue them, then I will heal them and I'll remove the snakes and all will be well. It's a mysterious story, isn't it? But sure enough, they believed what God said. They recognized they couldn't help themselves. They were desperate. And they believed what Moses said and they looked up at the bronze serpent and when they looked, the result was they were healed and they were saved. And Jesus is saying, well, that's pointing to me. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, me, I must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It's been said that every religion in the world, if you, if you ask the question, how do we get right with God? Every religion in the world will answer, with the same three letters at the beginning of their response. And the three letters are M, M for Michael, M-E-R. And most religions and ways of operating, thinking about God, will continue M-E-R-I-T, merit. Do you want to get right with God? 
well, you've got to earn it. You've got to merit it. You've got to climb up the ladder to God. And then at the end of time, God will judge you and he'll decide whether you've just done enough good. And the Bible said, no, that is a hopeless, hopeless way. Because none of us will ever be able to do enough. We'll never earn friendship with God. And so we need to be born again. We need a completely fresh start. Not merit, but M-E-R-C-Y. Mercy. Our only hope is to be given something we don't deserve. And here are these Israelites in the camp. They behave terribly. And they're not saying, Moses, ask God to to um, rescue us from these snakes because we live such good lives. They hadn't lived good lives. Now they need God's mercy. And God's mercy was provided by that bronze snake. And Jesus is saying, I am that one. So, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And he was talking about his death on the cross as he was literally exalted, lifted up. And as he hung there on the cross, we're meant to understand he was not dying because it was a tragic failure. The Gospels don't present the death of Jesus like that. This is the climax to which his whole life is heading. Because you and I, we deserve God's judgment for the way in which we pushed him out of our lives. But Jesus died instead, taking the penalty that we deserve. And so we come to perhaps the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I was reading an interview with Billy Connolly, the Scottish comedian, yesterday. And he was remembering a time when someone said, Billy, do you believe in God? And he replied, I don't know. But the question I've been grappling with all through my life is, does God believe in me? What do you reckon? Does God believe in me? in you in one sense absolutely he does in the sense that he loves you very very much indeed he made you he cares for you and yet we've all messed up and we need a fresh start and we've all had that experience of desperately feeling we need a we need a fresh start maybe it was an exam i can think of an exam certainly when about three quarters of the way through when you just get the teacher saying half an hour left and then you suddenly realize that first question you spent a whole hour on, you completely missed the point. You wish you could throw the bits of paper away and start, it was too late. The clock is ticking. Or maybe a relationship, it was all going so well and then you messed up badly. And it's the end of it. It's too late. More fundamentally with life as a whole, we look back at things we've said and done. We thought, oh, I need a fresh start. And Jesus is saying, you can have a fresh start. It's not by turning over a new leaf and saying, right, I'm going to be good from now on. As Helen was saying, actually it doesn't work very well. No, it's a fresh start because Jesus Christ is saying, I'm going to wipe the slate clean because I died for you. I took the penalty you deserve. So if you trust in me, if you look like those Israelites up to the bronze snake, or if you look to Jesus dying and say, I believe that he died for me, then all your wrongdoings, white, clean, you've received the free gift, and instead of perishing, you can have eternal life.
That is the fresh start. Because at that moment, the Holy Spirit will come into your life as you begin to trust in Jesus and will give you a new desire, a new desire to live for him. And life will never be the same again. Well, I don't have x-ray eyes, so I've, I've no idea what you're thinking. I know some of you. And some of you, I know, believe these things deeply. And I've said nothing tonight that's new for you. And if you're someone who says, yeah, I know this is true, that the only way I can know God is through a fresh start and that free gift that Jesus died to make possible for me as he took the penalty I deserve. Well, if that's you, I said at the beginning I was going to encourage a response because this is too important just to go into the week and forget about. And uh, in a moment, we're going to have a bit of time of silence and I want you to be saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Please help me by your Holy Spirit to live for you. For some of you, it's a whole new time in Oxford. Maybe you're starting a new course. Or you've moved home, started a new job. The great time to say, Jesus, here I am. You've given everything to me. I want to give everything to you. I want to make my life count for you. Others of you would say, no, that, um, that's not me. And all this is pretty new. I've got questions. I'm not sure. And it would simply say to you, Keep thinking, because we're talking about things that matter. Keep thinking. Come back. All through this term, we're thinking about John's gospel and more about the teaching of Jesus. Come to that Hope Explored course that we heard about on Wednesday. And do come and have a word with one of us. And we'd love to tell you more about how to access that. But there may be some, and I'd be very surprised indeed if there weren't some, who would say, actually... I've never really made a start in the Christian life. Perhaps I haven't really seen these things, but I know this is true, and I need to make a start for the first time. And if that's you, well, I'm going to close in a moment with a prayer. It's a prayer that's going to appear on the screens now. You might like to just read it through. And ask yourself the question, is that a prayer I want to pray? Maybe because I've, I've never said yes to Jesus before or because maybe I, I wasn't quite so sure and now I want to seal the deal, as it were, and I want to say yes to Jesus. And that would be a great prayer to pray. I promised at the beginning I wouldn't going to embarrass anyone, so, so don't say it out loud. But as I prayed in just a moment, you can echo it and make it your prayer in your heart to God. So let's be quiet for a moment and think, how do I respond to these things? Just a moment of quiet and then I'm going to pray that particular prayer. For some of us we need to say, Jesus, thank you. I'm going to offer my whole life to you. Please help me to live for you. For others... Maybe it's a resolve to find out more, to talk to friends, to think further. Come to that Hope Explored course. But for a few, I'm sure, it will mean saying yes to Jesus for the first time. So here's that prayer. You can echo it in your heart. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness.
Thank you for sending your son to die for me, that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me, that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.